have a seat. Uh, good morning, welcome. Uh, so glad to see you all here with us this morning. Uh, go and get your Bibles out and turn to the book of Jonah. And I know we've been moving through the Gospel of Mark, but for the next four weeks, <laughs> kind of like an intermission, if you will, uh, in the middle of uh, the book of Mark. And we'll uh, spend the next four weeks in the book of Jonah. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles on the back table there at the back of the sanctuary or in the lobby. There's more. And so would encourage you to grab one of those if you don't have one. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Uh, but as we come to the book of Jonah and really the next four weeks, uh, anytime we start a new book, I always like to talk a little bit about the book as a whole. And uh, so really by way of introduction, let me talk a little bit about Jonah, uh, the book, not necessarily the prophet. We'll talk about him for the next four weeks, but the book itself here. Uh, a, a few things about the book of Jonah. First of all, Jonah is one of uh, what we would call the minor prophets. And uh, the minor prophets are the 12 uh, prophets that comprise the, the last part of the Old Testament. And they're called the minor prophets, not because they're less important than the major prophets, but the major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, those guys just wrote a lot more. And so the minor prophets really deals with uh, the volume of content that is written and that we have, not so much that one is better or more important than the other. And so uh, if you're having a hard time finding Jonah, you have uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then... And Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Now, once you get past Hosea, all those books are pretty short. And so just flip a few pages to the right. You'll hit Jonah. Uh, here's a few things about the book of Jonah that maybe are kind of interesting or distinct with respect to uh, all the other minor prophets. First of all, uh, Jonah, the book of Jonah is primarily a narrative. It's primarily a story. Uh, most of the prophets uh, have more of what uh, we would call oracle writing, visions, prophecies, prayers, things of that nature, calls to repentance, where most of Jonah is a story, uh, really of a rebellious prophet and God's uh, incredible mercy to him and everyone that he encounters. Uh, further, part of what is distinct about Jonah is unlike most of the other prophets is his behavior is anything but what you'd expect a prophet from God to be like. You would think a prophet, okay, they're, they're with God, they're for God, they do what God tells them to do, except Jonah um, really, for the most part, does exactly the opposite of what uh, God tells him uh, to do. Now, historically, uh, the book of Jonah happens in the early part of the 8th century, uh, probably somewhere between 780 to 740 B.C. He's one of the first Jewish prophets uh, in all the prophets in terms of the history. This is before either uh, of the exiles or the captivities. And uh, uh, so, so that, that, that becomes, or that'll be an important piece, and we'll get to that here in a moment. But make no mistake, the book of Jonah, this these four chapters, two pages, very short book. This is not about Jonah. It's not about Nineveh. This book isn't about the ocean or big fish or boats or anything of that nature. This book is about God. Okay? And it's about the relentless mercy of God. It's about God's pursuit of his people. Specifically, what we see in Jonah over and over and over again is the relentless mercy of God to, to a variety of people who are simply undeserving of God's mercy, which is really the whole point of mercy. It's something that we don't deserve. And when you think about Jonah in the thread of redemptive history, when you think of the scriptures, you have creation, right? First two chapters of the Bible, you have the fall, and that starts in Genesis chapter 3 and runs us really till the end of uh, Revelation. 
But then you have redemption, God's process of redemption, where he is actively at work in redeeming uh, his people, his creation, all that. And Jonah is just the next story. It's just the next account of many accounts of God's redeeming his people. And so uh, that, that's kind of the book of Jonah in a nutshell. Now the series, uh, you'll notice if you look at the screen here, we've titled the series Relentless Mercy. A relentless mercy. And, and the reason that we've titled it that is that it's what we're going to see throughout the book. You're going to see God's relentless mercy, his, con, his continual pursuit, his continual sparing uh, of what these people actually uh, deserve. And as we move through it, as we first learn to love and appreciate who God is, and we recognize what God has done for us, then the goal is, or, or the, the heart is, that it begins to move us to a place where we begin to live on mission where we begin to be willing to go, to serve, to share the gospel, to be gospel-centered, mission-minded uh, men and women. Uh, but this book is first and foremost about God's mercy. Truthfully, every book of the Bible is ultimately about God. He just uses different people to teach us uh, different things about himself. And so with, with that kind of as a more general understanding, now specifically where we're at this morning, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1. Title of the message this morning is A Relentless Pursuit. A Relentless Pursuit. Part of God's mercy is that it's his relentless pursuit of us that God will chase you and I down no matter what. Now, I would suggest to you at the outset, you're probably going to be better served to not make him chase you further and harder and more intensely. And I say that for your well-being. Um, but just know he's going to chase you in the same way that he's chased Jonah. And really, in a nutshell, what we see in chapter 1 is God's mercy is revealed in his pursuit of us. So let's do this. Let's read the passage. Uh, let's pray. And then we'll just begin to walk through it. Jonah 1, starting in verse 1, says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So this commission from God comes to Jonah right away, and then notice verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, so he went and did the opposite thing, the very opposite. Hey, God's saying, okay, I want you to go here. And Jonah, without saying anything, goes, mm-hmm, and just this way. Right, it tells us he goes down to Joppa. Um, he went down to Joppa, a little port city not far from Jerusalem, found a ship going to Tarshish. Now, we don't know for sure where Tarshish is. We believe that uh, one of a number of places, it could be uh, North Africa. Uh, it, it could have been um, a Sicilia, that little island that it looks like the boot of Italy is kicking uh, in the Mediterranean, or it might even be as far as Spain. And uh, any of those places are options. Uh, the point being that he's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. So then it says, so he paid the fare. Now, I, I didn't know this till this week. He didn't buy uh, admission onto the boat. He's paying for the whole thing. Sin is always expensive. It is always costly. He paid for this whole voyage. Paid for the fare. Went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And then God has a sense of humor, right? Uh, onto the sea. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Now, uh, I'm not a sailor, I'm not a professional, but I know when you're jettisoning, jettisoning cargo, it's life-threatening. So this isn't like a little bit windy, a little bit stormy, it's we're not sure we're going to make it. So let's do whatever it takes to survive. 
And so they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. And then this is crazy. <clears throat> Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. He's cashed. These guys are threatened for their life. And he's dreaming, snoozing, man, clueless to what's going on. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Uh, casting lots, a very common practice in the Old Testament, uh, a way of discerning God's will um, or the God's will, depending on who you were. So they cast lots and uh, by no accident, the lot fell to Jonah. <laughs> I love this, verse eight. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. Can't you see Jonah just being like, uh, that'd be me. Uh, my fault, that one's on me, guys. Uh, and then they ask him these series of questions. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? <clears throat> Verse 9, he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Now, just so we're clear, they're in the middle of this intense storm, okay? They're not like sitting around sipping coffee, like, man, isn't this great? Just down on a little cruise, the boat, I mean, just think of it like rocking back and forth and, and wind and waves and, and, and probably rain and, and stuff's flying everywhere and they're holding on and they're trying to figure out what, what are we gonna do? So Jonah says, um, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous, right? The storm gets even worse. Verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, personally, I think Jonah's a coward for not just getting up and jumping off. Right? Like he's going to make these guys do it. And then these guys show some, some shred of nobility because they're like, no, we don't want to do that. That's, a, that's certain death. Verse 13, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. Um, but it's not going to happen because God has something else in mind. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And then check this out, verse 14. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Now, anytime in your Bible you see capital L, capital O, o capital R, capital D, you want to make note of that. Um, that's God's personal name. They're talking about Yahweh right there. And so in verse 5 and verse 6, where they're calling out to their um, gods, now they're saying, no, let's call out to Yahweh. Okay, don't lose that. Don't miss that. And so then they call out specifically to, to Yahweh, to God the Father, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us his innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so then they picked Jonah up and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. I mean, can you imagine that moment? I mean, you pick that guy up, you throw him into the sea and I think like instantly, it's like you could watch the storm just kind of roll away. And the, the waves still kind of rocking but slowly subsiding and it's like, what just happened? And then their response in verse 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And God in his mercy and grace in verse 17, appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pause. 
Uh, Let's ask God to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that long to um, respond. Uh, What it is that he's calling us to here this morning, and then we'll walk through this text. Pray with me. Jesus, uh, we thank you. God, we thank you for the story of Jonah. And uh, God, we thank you that uh, in this, um, for so many of us, we we see our lives uh, a running from you, a desire to do things our own way, uh, a pursuit of our own uh, desires or intention, and yet your relentless pursuit of us. So God, I pray that as we walk through this text this morning, that you would give us wisdom, that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, that your spirit would have the freedom to respond to us in whatever manner, whatever way is needed and necessary. God, if we need to be encouraged, would you do that? God, if we need to be comforted, would you do that? God, if we need to be rebuked, uh, would you do that? Wherever uh, you see us and find us, would you do that this morning? But God, not only for us, uh, this morning we pray for North Church. Uh, God, I thank you for uh, Pastor Dave Bruscus and just what a, uh, an incredible man of faith that he is. And we pray for North and for uh, Dave this morning. We pray that as he preaches, that he would preach well, that he would preach faithfully, and that they too Um, they too would see your relentless pursuit of them. And God, that they would follow you in all things. And so God, we pray that you would be honored. We pray that you would be glorified. We pray that you would be lifted high. And we pray that your spirit would have the freedom to do the work that only you can do in our lives here today. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Relentless mercy. God's relentless pursuit, three things I want us to see here in the text this morning. But before we we get to that, um, let me just take a moment. There's two words as as followers of Jesus that we use an awful lot. Um, And and I've found that a lot of times there's some confusion or misunderstanding on the terms. And and those two terms are mercy and grace. And, And the terms, oftentimes we'll use them almost synonymously. Like they're the same word. And in one respect, they are similar in that with both words or both concepts, we get something that we don't deserve. But I want to be really clear as we move through the book of Jonah, because we're going to see plenty of God's grace in this book. But without a doubt, this book is about the mercy of God. And so let me just make sure we're clear on the distinction between these two aspects or two items, and that will help us, I think, to understand this relentless mercy of God. So let's start with grace. Grace is is you receive a gift. You are given something that you don't deserve or you haven't earned. Okay, question, who wants a gift this morning? Okay, Uh, Gina Beasley, your hand was the first hand I saw. So here's a book. Okay, uh, Gina didn't know this was coming. This is a book I actually referenced a couple weeks ago. It's called A Praying Life. This is awesome. Uh, hopefully you don't feel like that's a burden. Um, I was hoping someone who liked to read would get that, right? You, get, you give a book to a non-reader and it's like, great. That's not a gift. That's like a curse. Um, that's a great book. Read it. When you're done with it, give it to someone else. All right, great, great book. That's grace. You give someone something that they don't deserve. They haven't earned. Mercy is I'm spared from something that I do deserve. Okay, here's a hypothetical because I know no one at Faith Church has ever been pulled over by a police officer while driving their vehicle, right? (laughs) Okay, true confessions, that's happened. Um, Actually, this was kind of funny last summer. Last summer, I got pulled over. This, it's not funny why I got pulled over, okay? But I got pulled over because I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. I don't do it anymore, all right? You want to know where I was going? I was going to an elder meeting. 
Okay. I was a little bit awkward to walk in, a little bit late. Hey, where were you? I was hanging out with Rio Rancho PD for all the wrong reasons. Okay, I got pulled over. Um, but when I got pulled over, officer should have given me a ticket. That's what I deserved. But he didn't. He extended mercy. He didn't give me what I deserved. He spared me from wrath, punishment, consequence that should have been mine. Sometimes when we're disciplining our children, uh, we'll call them in and whether it's a spanking or they're supposed to be grounded or or whatever it is, we'll sit there and I'll talk and be like, hey, I'm not going to spank you. (gasps) Why? (laughs) And then we get to talk about mercy. We get to talk about, because you know what? Sometimes this is what God does for us. In fact, all the time, this is what God does for us. He spares us from his wrath. We don't uh, live under the weight and the consequence and the punishment that we so rightfully deserve. And so while grace and mercy, we'll see both of these in the book of Jonah. I want to be really clear. What we see in spades is mercy. It's God's relentless mercy. And so in fact, notice this first of all, uh, first of three things in the text. God's mercy and his call to go. God's mercy and his call to go. Jonah had no right, truthfully, none of us have any right getting to participate in building the kingdom of God. And yet, right out of the gate, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Even that, we don't deserve that. I mean, he evokes the imagery of Genesis 1 like nothing, and then God speaks, and something dramatic is about to happen. God's word comes to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. God's mercy and his call to go. Really, we see both God's mercy and his grace in this. That God allows us to be a part of building his kingdom. That God allows us to do the work of the ministry. That God allows us uh, to be the mouthpiece, the ambassador, the messenger to tell people about this incredible God of mercy. His mercy and uh, his call uh, for you and I to go. Now notice three things specifically in the text that I just want to point out uh, briefly here that begin to speak into our lives and maybe challenge us in some ways. But notice this first of all. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. Notice, first of all, in verse 2, our responsibility to proclaim God. You and I have a responsibility to make known the truth of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you can look to a point in time in your life where you've turned from sin towards Jesus, you have both the privilege and the responsibility of telling the world about Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and me. I mean, how clear is that? He, he doesn't say, hey, Jonah, arise if you feel like it. Hey, man, if you can fit this into your schedule, that'd be awesome because I'd love for you to be able to go. Or, hey, if you get around to it, none of that. Get up, go. It's a command. There's no negotiating here. Go do this. It's the same for you and I. We have the responsibility, the privilege, but also the responsibility. Not only is the same true for us today, I'd suggest you, if anything, God's probably pushed the throttle forward on this. I mean, Jesus' words at the end of Matthew, uh, at the end of Matthew's gospel, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's a command. Beginning of the book of Acts, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And I, like, hey, if you feel like it, if you can get around to it. No, that's, that's the mission of your life. That's what I'm calling you to. Yes, it's both a privilege and a responsibility, but you and I, uh, we should be going. We're going to go. Just ask yourself, am I taking seriously the responsibility to share Jesus with the world? Our responsibility to proclaim God. Notice the secondly, God's heart for the nations. 
God's heart for the nations. Now, when I was talking a minute ago about Jonah being one of the earliest prophets in Israel's history, you have to understand how shocking it is that one of the first prophets that God sent out didn't even go to the Jewish people. Think about that. One of the very first prophets that God ever sent out on mission didn't even go to God's people. Where'd he go? He went to the Ninevites, to a foreign country, to pagans, man, Gentiles. It's God's heart for the nations. I mean, it's shocking. That alone should tell us an awful lot about what God thinks about people, about mankind, and about the world. Now, what Israel, we know in Israel's history, and we'll see this in Jonah as we move through the book, what they really struggled with was they struggled to reconcile God's election of them, God's choosing of them as, hey, we're God's people. They struggled to understand how that worked together with God's heart for the nations and how God was going to include all the nations. See, Israel thought we're special for the sake of being special. God loves us because we're better than everyone else. They were never better than anyone else. You can go all the way back to Genesis 12. Abraham, you're going to be a blessing to the nations. That, that was a clue right there. It's not just about a family. It's not even about a nation. It's about the world. You just get to be the people who go on my behalf. That's what Moses was saying in Exodus 19, or what Moses was told in Exodus 19 when God said, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're the go-between of me and the nations. It's what Isaiah will go on to say that you'll be a light to the Gentiles. The whole book of Jonah is telling us God loves the nations. His heart has always been for the nations. My experience in church world tells me that people tend to do one of two things. We tend to run towards um, local mission and we do nothing with the nations or we run to global mission and we do nothing in our surrounding community. The gospel should compel us to do both. The gospel should move us. We, we should care deeply about what happens in the metro area. We, we should long to see the gospel flourish in Albuquerque and Rio Rancho and Los Lunas and Bernalillo and, and what's right around us. But we should have an equal care and equal concern about what happens on the other side of the world. Now, having lived overseas for three years, I can tell you confidently Americans are arrogant and we're self-centered. Because when you live in America, you just think the world revolves around you. You get outside and you live in another part of the world and you realize, man, people of the world know what's happening everywhere. And far too often you and I are just, we're ignorant of that. God's heart for the nations. Loved ones, we should love the nations. We should have concern for the nations. When, when we see tragedy happening in other parts of the world, we shouldn't go, well, I'm glad I wasn't here. We should be broken. And we, God, would you let the gospel move and work in the midst of that? You might be sitting here going, okay, I... I, I I see it. I wouldn't even know where to start. Where, where would I even start with something like that? Well, there's a lot of ways, but here's one way that you might do. Um, just start praying for the missionaries that we support as a church. Go to our website. Uh, when you go to um, the, the serving tab, uh, under that it, it says in the community and then there's missions. All of our missionaries are listed there. Just start praying for our missionaries. Uh, in fact, every week in your bulletin at the bottom of your bulletin on the front page, there's a missionary of the week. You don't have to go to the website. You can just grab those. You can pray for that. Uh, maybe another way that you start doing that is you start giving to missions. Grab one of our missionaries. You know someone else, start giving to one of your missionaries. You know, Jesus said, um, well, he said a lot of things that were pretty profound, but one of the things that's pretty spot on uh, is he says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. What he means by that is wh wherever your money is, that's where your heart is at. 
That's how you know what has you. Where do you spend your money? That's what has you. That's where your heart's at. You want a heart for mission? Start investing in that. Start giving to a missionary. Start giving to multiple missionaries. I guarantee you, you start putting money there, you're going to start caring about that. Um, Go. Go serve somewhere. Go to Mexico this summer. We go to Mexico in July. Go. I can't be gone for the whole week. Great. Let's find a way to get you down there for three, four days. Go down there and serve. See that. Be a part of that. Be exposed to some of those things. If you don't have a passport and you're thinking even in the slightest sense, maybe I want to do that, go get your passport. Let that be the first step of obedience. I'm going to get my passport so that when God calls me to go to Mexico or somewhere else, I can do it. Some of you, some of you, God might tell you to move. You're not going to go for a few days. You're not going to go for a week or a month. He's going to move to the other side of the world. That might be what retirement is for you. Which would be actually a pretty sweet gig, honestly. Okay? And, and so, so God's heart for the nations. God, God has always, always, always loved the nations. God help us, man, that we would love the things that God loves. That we would love the nations. That we would love the people of the world because God loves the people of the world. God's heart for the nations. And then notice this, uh, thirdly, uh, God's engagement of sin In verse 2, he says, Call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. The good news of the gospel is only good news when I understand the bad news and the consequence. This is where we see the mercy of God in its fullest sense. When I recognize that my sin has come up before God, it has put me at odds with God, it has set me apart from God, and that I can't make it right, that's where the good news of Jesus is amplified. Because I can't fix it. I can't bridge the gap. I can't do it in and of myself. Oh, but God, in his infinite mercy, through his incredible grace by Jesus, he makes it right. And he does that by engaging sin. Now you might go, um, I don't really like the idea that God engages my sin. I don't find that to be merciful. Well, if he were to leave you unchecked in that, you would literally die and be crushed by the burden of his wrath. So just understand what you're being spared from if God were to do nothing. God's engagement of sin. Now just maybe as a side note or by way of application, when we think about sharing the gospel, sometimes I'm shocked when believers will tell me, well, I like to share the gospel. I just don't like to tell people about the sinfulness. Like, I, I, that's the bad news, man. I don't want to tell them the bad news. I'm like, you don't have good news if you don't understand that there's bad news. Like, think about it for a second. If, the, if you strip away the sin from the gospel, what does Jesus save you from? Not getting what you want? Because I'm not happy? I mean, it's not sin. It, it, it's, it's not the fact that I'm alienated from God. I don't know what it is. But as believers, we got to be honest. We, we have... Share the gospel, you got to talk about sin. God's engagement of sin, he deals with it quickly. And so notice, first of all, God's mercy and his call to go. Now look at verse 3. Here's the second thing we see. Second thing we see. Um, we see Jonah's rejection of God's presence. God gives him a call, gives him a command, and Jonah, what does he do? <laughs> he pieces out, but he goes the opposite direction. And so notice two things here. Um, first of all, it says that he, he heads to Tarshish. And I've already talked about some of the different places that Tarshish could be. Um, here's what you have to understand. He, jo- Jonah is thinking in his mind, I'm going to go to that place because I want to get as far away as possible from where God is. I'm going to flee from God's presence. 
And so I will go to a place where God is not known. Now, you and I go, good luck with that, buddy. Now, you have to understand, okay, you have to understand, Old Testament understanding, um, and we even see this in the New Testament, but what they believed was when it came to deities, there was geographic proximity. And so even think about the nation of Israel. God was where? Where was God? He was in Jerusalem. More specifically, where was he? He's in the temple, right? That's where Yahweh is. He's in the temple. And so if I'm going to go away from there, I can escape the presence of God. And so in one respect, Jonah's, I mean, Jonah's logic is, it's flawed, it's wrong, but part of it was because his understanding of God's presence was flawed and it was wrong, is that he thought that he could escape, that he could get away. Of course, the truth is you can't get away. You can't escape God's presence. Even Jacob in Genesis understood this, uh, realizing when he was in a foreign land, and yet he said, surely God is in this place, and I did not know it. Some of you, right, all of us at some point in our life live this way, but some of you, maybe even today, it's how you're living your life. If God is over there, I can come live in my sin over here, and he won't know it. He won't see it. He won't be aware of it. I mean, even think about it pragmatically, practically. When, when we find ourselves in time of sin, what do we do? We're in the dark. We close doors. Um, we close curtains. Right? We close ourselves in because what's our thinking? If others can't see it or I can't see it, therefore, surely God can't see it, except that that's simply not true, Right? Um, of course, this is what disobedience does in our lives, is, is we both want to and attempt to escape God's presence. You can't. You can't. You can't escape it. You can't outrun it. You can't get away from it. I love what David says in Psalm 139. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where am I going to go? And then he starts to talk about possible places. Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there too. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You can't escape God's presence. You can't do it. You just simply can't do it. And so God in his mercy, with Jonah in this attempt to escape from God's presence, God is going to chase him down. And maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're running in some capacity. I'm just telling you, God's going to chase you down. Because he loves you. Because he cares for you. Because he wants what's best for you, what's right for you. And so then notice this thirdly here of the rest of the chapter, verses 4 through 17. Uh, God's mercy and his relentless pursuit of his people. And this is where we see God's relentless pursuit. This is where we see God chasing Jonah and where we're going to see him by a way of application chasing you and I down. Um, Jonah didn't deserve pursuit. What he deserved was wrath. And in some respect, God gave him a portion of that or a piece of that, but nothing what he actually deserved because in God's goodness, you can't escape his presence. You can't outrun it. You can't outsin it. You can't flee it. Now, you might reject it, but you can't get outside of it. And so when we look at verses 4 through 17 and we see God's mercy and his relentless pursuit of his people, hear me, hear me, hear me when I say this. What I want you to see in these verses, I want you to see them for what they truly are, what they really are. This storm 
is a means of God's grace, of his kindness, of his love, of his mercy, of his goodness to Jonah. It is his love that compels him to do this. Question, what would have been the more loving thing for God to do? To do what he did or to do nothing? Think about it. Because sometimes, actually a lot of times when you and I are in our sin, we get mad that God does something, that he chases us, that he puts this storm in our life, that he allows something to push us back to him. But think about it for a second. Yeah, the storm is scary. Uh, that whole big fish thing is probably pretty scary. Um, but it's nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing in comparison to God going, you're on your own. Could you imagine if God said, done with you. That, that is the epitome of horror and terror. And so notice God's mercy and his relentless pursuit of his people. Notice three things with respect to that. First of all, in verses um, four through six, notice God's mercy in the storm. God's mercy is evident in the storm. God's grace is evident in the storm. God's goodness is evident in the storm. Now keep in mind, right, keep in mind, God's pursuing a rebellious man. He's seeking to draw him back. And so uh, drastic times call for drastic measures. And so he just kind of ups the ante a little bit here. Hurls a great wind upon the sea. All the guys on the boat are freaking out. They're getting rid of all of the cargo. Jonah's downstairs sleeping. And then look at verse 6. I love verse 6. This is awesome. The captain came and said to him, look at what, think about the context, right? Think about what's going on here. And think about what the captain is saying to him. What do you mean, you sleeper? And then this, arise, call out to your God. That's the whole problem. He's running away from his God. He doesn't want to have any communication with his God. He doesn't want to speak to his God. He wants nothing to do with his God. And here, I would suggest, I believe, a non-believing, um, not a Yahweh-following individual is telling a prophet of God, go back. He doesn't even know it. <laughs> it's God's mercy and kindness and grace that is taking this, this pawn, if you will, moving Jonah. Hey, you might want to call out to your God. You might want to call out on behalf of all of us. See, it's God's mercy in the storm. And some of you, some of you, you might find yourself here this morning in a difficult season. You might find yourself uh, in the midst of a trial, a struggle, a storm, whatever metaphor you want to use, you get the point. And you might find yourself saying, God, why are you allowing blank? God, why? Why, why this? And we know why with Jonah. I think it's the same reason in your life and in mine. Because God is moving in the same way that he's moving Jonah he wants to move you and I to a place where we will face him. Where we will turn and face him. Because Jonah had turned his back on God and it went away from him. And so God's like, no, 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 we, we can't do work when you have your back to me. So let's move you to the place where you will come and face me. And then we can start to do work. Then we can begin to move through this process God is moving him and he wants to move you and I to a greater dependence upon him. He's, pro he's proving to you and I that you and I can't do it on our own. And so the storm comes and it's God's mercy. Maybe you haven't thought about that particular trial in your life as an evidence of God's mercy. 
maybe you haven't thought about the particular struggle or trial that you find yourself in as a means of God's grace to bring you back to the place where you will face him. It's what it is. It's what it is. I'm not saying that you have to enjoy every moment of it. I'm not saying that you should love it. Uh, but what I am saying is you got to see it for what it is. It's God taking something in your life and moving you to the place where you will come back and you will face him. You can do one of two things with that. You can reject it and you can turn your back and then God is just going to chase you even more. <laughs> and it'll probably get worse, probably get more intense. I'm not sure that you're going to end up in the belly of a great fish, but who knows? You never know. It could happen. But he's going to do something. Or you can turn and you can face him. And you can begin to engage with him. The storm in your life is an evidence of God's mercy. Here's my question to you. Will you face God? Will you face him? Will you lean into his mercy in the midst of the difficulty and the trial and the struggle? Will you begin to think in a way that begins to say, you know what, this, this thing in my life, this hurdle, this, the, the, this valley, this, this season of darkness... God put this here on purpose and it's not to punish me but it's to push me right back to the place where I will face him. God's mercy in the storm. God's mercy in the storm and God's mercy in the storm in your life is unfolding as well. Notice this secondly. God's mercy in exposing sin. God's mercy in exposing sin. Now, you might not ever think that God is merciful in exposing your sin. I would suggest to you uh, just the opposite. I think it's the greatest evidence, one of the greatest evidences of God's mercy and love in our life. But here are these questions that start to show up, right? They cast lots, lot falls to Jonah. Um, he probably knew before they started. Uh, I'm going to draw the short stick here. This one's going to come to me, right? They ask the question, um, on whose account has this evil come upon us? I mean, they know he drew the short lot. And then they ask him these other series of questions. This first one I, I, I love, what is your occupation? Now notice in the text, he doesn't answer it. Uh, I'm a prophet of Yahweh. Okay. So I, I thought you said he's the Lord of the earth and the sea. Yeah, kind of in a season of disobedience right now. Bingo, right? Nail on the head. That's the issue. Sin exposed. God's mercy. It's God's mercy in exposing Jonah's sin. In the same way that God's mercy is, mercy is evident in exposing your sin and my sin. And you might say, how? How can that be merciful? I, 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 Mike, that just seems painful and hard. I don't see that as being merciful at all. Here's how it's merciful. One is that God spares you from what you ultimately deserve, but even further, he pushes you to the place where you're required to face God and get right with him. And he spares you from further hurt, from further damage, from further pain, and from further destruction. I would say, if anything, it's the epitome of his mercy. See, because when God exposes sin in our life, it's a means of his grace. It's, it's a gift that he gives to us. Now, you might not feel like it in the moment. But it's an evidence of God's love for you that he would expose your sin. In fact, the author of Hebrews tells us that very thing. He says this. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved for, by him. Listen, listen. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God disciplines you because he loves you. In fact, he goes on and talks about that's what a parent does. A loving parent will discipline their child because they love them. 
God begins to expose sin in your life. He does it because he loves you. Because he wants what's best for you. In the same way that when your child sins, you don't go, well, let's just cover that up and pretend it happened. No, you deal with it. Because you love them and you don't want to see them continue to struggle in that and live in that. The author of Hebrew goes, uh, Hebrews goes on and says this. He says, it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father is not disciplined? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, listen, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. God's discipline proves that you're a legitimate child of his. He's proving to you, I love you, you're mine. And in that, it should move us back to God, to facing him, where we begin to, to repent of sin, but also to be protected from sin. When God exposes it, it's a protective measure in our life. I've shared this story before, so some of you have heard this. Some of you maybe haven't, but I'll share it anyway. When I was growing up, I had a paper route. And uh, uh, one of the things you had to do is once a week, you had to deliver these things called midweeks. And they were to all the people on your particular route or all the homes on your route that didn't uh, subscribe to the paper. So uh, the way I looked at it was essentially the paper company got free labor out of me uh, is really what it boiled down to. Um, and so every week you'd get them on Wednesday. You had to deliver them by like Friday or Saturday uh, was the rule. And I mean, I religiously delivered those stupid things every Wednesday. Uh, you know, people who don't uh, pay, never going to see anything from it. It's like free promotion at my expense. And so there was one particular week. It's like, oh, I just don't want to do them on Wednesday. I don't have to do them today. I'll do them tomorrow. It didn't happen the next day for some reason. Get to Friday. I'm like, ah, oh, it's almost a week. And I don't want to do it. And of course, you're not going to do it Saturday or Sunday because it's early and I'm not taking extra papers early in the morning. And so it's Sunday late afternoon and they're sitting there in my bedroom it's like, well, I got to get rid of them. And I don't want to go deliver them. You know, when you're 12 years old, you can think up some half-baked plans. You never really think through all the things, though I thought this was a pretty good idea. Uh, so I snuck out my front window with the papers and went out to the big trash can. Trash came early Monday morning. I just got to get through the night. And I'm not an idiot. I didn't leave them on top. I buried them under a bunch of trash. And then in a stroke of genius, I would happily take out the trash for the rest of the evening. Right? Oh, yeah. Mom will be so proud of me and she'll love it and all this stuff. And, and so it's like, I just got to get through a few hours and I'm safe. So at the time, my, little, my youngest brother, Sean, Sean's always been a little bit different, but especially when he was a toddler, he was super different. And one of the things, he loved having pacifiers. Not like one, but four or five. And so what he would do is he'd have those, you know, those clips and where they hang off. And so he would literally have like just across his whole shirt, he'd have these pacifiers that just hung down. So he'd have one in his mouth. I, I'm not kidding. He would take two and would press his cheeks with the other two. But he always wanted to have like a security blanket. Just make sure one other pacifier, just in case I lose the other three or four hanging from my shirt. So that Sunday, no pacifiers anywhere. I bet we own 30 of them, okay? But you couldn't find a pacifier anywhere in the house. And so Sean is screaming and going crazy, and my mom's tearing up the house. And so, I mean, it's God, right? It's God, but she's like, maybe I threw them out. <laughs> and if you know my mom, I mean, the, the, it's common sense. Get in the car and go buy some pacifiers. But we lived on the edge of town. Don't want to go drive across town to get pacifiers. So what is my mom doing? She's out in the big trash can rifling through looking for pacifiers. And so she didn't find any pacifiers, but she found a lot of midweeks. And so she walked into the house and just calmly and coolly, you know, I'm sitting there, I don't know what I was doing, doing something. She goes, hey, I was just curious. I saw those midweeks in your room the other day. Did you ever get those delivered? And I think my response was something to the effect of, yeah, they're gone. I'm going to hedge my bets. I'm not going to totally lie, right? 
And she just said, can you explain to me why there's 25 of them in our trash can? I didn't do them. And I'll never forget what she said next. She said, I pray all the time, all the time, all the time that your sin would find you out. And she's quoting Numbers uh, 32, verse 23. I pray all the time that your sin would find you out. And that was the story of the next like five, six years of my life. Every time I sinned, I was busted and exposed to the point that my buddies would sneak out in high school and I'd be like, I'm not going. Because if I go, we're caught. If I don't go, y'all have a great time and no one will know. I just knew. Now, in the moment, listen, in the moment when it was exposed, I didn't feel like God was merciful. I didn't feel like he was gracious. I didn't feel like he was kind. I felt like he was out to get me. But I can look back now, and it's one of the greatest evidences of his kindness in my life. Because I can't tell you all the things that I was spared from, kept from, protected from. Because I knew that God would expose that. And some of you, some of you, you're, you're, you're in the midst of that. God, God is exposing sin in your life right now. Some of you, you're hiding it and you're hoping he won't. I'm just telling you. He'll expose it. And so, so whether you're on the verge of making a, a life-altering, sinful decision, wh- whether there's some addiction issue, whether it be pornography or alcohol or drugs, wh- whether there's gossip, slander, lying, cheating, if there's abuse going on in your life, if, if, you, <laughs> if you think you can hide it, because of God's mercy, he will ex- he'll expose it. Now hear me, hear me when I say this. Not if, not if, when, when God exposes it, you thank him. You thank him that he loves you enough and cares for you enough to not let you live in that sin. You say, God, thank you. Thank you that you would choose to rescue me from this. God, thank you that you won't leave me in this. You won't feel like it. You won't want to. I'm just telling you right now, prepare. If it comes to that, now that, right, the better choice would be just repent right now. Okay? Turn right now. Stop. Just stop. Change. Repent. Alter your course. But because of God's love, he wants to move us out of darkness back into light. It's his mercy and exposing sin. One other side note here just to make. Um, a lot of times when we're in sin, we will tell ourselves, it's only affecting me. It's only hurting me. You think any of the other guys on the boat thought it was only hurting Jonah? There is never, never, never a time where your sin will only hurt you. It will always, always, always impact others. Do not fool yourself. Your sin will always have an area of, of impact, so to speak, and it will always exceed just you. Okay? God's mercy in exposing sin. Here's the final thing. Just briefly, God's mercy in revealing himself. God's mercy in revealing himself. Now, while the the men here on the boat are negatively impacted by Jonah's sin in in one sense, uh, in in another way, in in, in a way that only God can, they find themselves crying out to the one true God. And so God took, even before Jonah has repented in any sense of the word or or, or done anything right, uh, God has taken this and used this to reveal himself to these men. And in verse 6, the captain is saying, go call out to your God, whoever that may be. In verse 14, they're calling out to Yahweh. Literally, therefore they called out to the Lord. O Lord, God, like the, God the Father, uh, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us 
Innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They pick him up, throw him into the sea. And then look at verse 16. The men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Do they convert to serving Yahweh alone for the rest of their life? We, we don't know. What we do know that's undeniable is they came face to face. They, they came to know who Yahweh was. God revealed himself. He made himself known very, very clearly in that moment. And that's part of God's relentless pursuit of his people. It's his mercy that he reveals himself in that way. God, God wastes nothing, nothing in our lives in drawing us to himself. And his mercy is evident in that he chooses to reveal himself. God doesn't owe that to us. We're not, we don't deserve that. God has no debt to us in that. But he chooses to reveal himself. What we deserve, right, what we deserve, what Jonah deserved was simply wrath and death. And yet God spares him and makes him known and will bring both Jonah and these mariners where they're facing him. Incredible mercy. Incredible mercy. Now just in your life, no doubt at, at many levels God is pursuing you. God is drawing you. God is moving you. God is working in you. But God help us. God help us that we would begin to see the various things in our life, the various events, the things that God allows, that we might be saying, God, why, why, why? That we begin to see them as an evidence of God's mercy and grace in our life. That I would realize, man, God is using this to push me to the place where I come right back to the foot of the cross. It doesn't push me from him, it pushes me to him. And so when you think about what's going on in your life, you have, okay, what, why? God, what, what is it that you're after here? For some of you, some of you, what God wants to do is he wants you to bring you to, back to the place where you will simply face God. Your back is turned, you're running, you're heading, uh, thinking you can escape the presence of the Lord. You haven't escaped it. Here's the beautiful thing. As long as you run, as far as you may go, as much time passes, with your back to God, the moment you turn, where is he? He's right here. Some of you, it's time to turn. Some of you, it's time to repent. You've let some sin categorize your life. You've been gripped by something. Uh, maybe casually, maybe it's like, well, maybe eventually I'll get over it. Maybe, maybe you're crushed by it. It's just time to repent. Others of you, you've you got to change the way that you think about the events in your life. You're angry or you're bitter because God has allowed something in your life all the while. He's trying to use that to, to push you right back to him. And instead of being angry and bitter at God, God, why are you allowing this where you would walk out of here going, God, thank you. God, thank you for the trial. Thank you for the struggle. Thank you for the difficulty because in that, as much as I hate it, you are pushing me right back to you. And so wherever, wherever you find yourself this morning, that we would first understand that God is relentlessly pursuing us. And our response should be to turn and to face him. Let's pray.